4th of July anyway. We made the best of it around the Lightfoot house. I know Angela and I spent the rainy 4th of July indoors and we had a few friends over and we watched baseball and we had good conversation and we ventured outside only to check the grill to make sure we didn't have our lunch burned to a crisp. And then later, Angela and I settled into a quiet evening at home. Angela, by the way, uh, I'm not sure if everybody's aware of this, but Angela is on the worship team at Strawbridge United Methodist. That is her ministry. She, she sings on the worship team. And so she will join us the first Sunday of every month. And she'll be at, uh, serving at Strawbridge after uh, every Sunday after that. I will tell you that she thoroughly enjoyed her time here. She enjoyed meeting all of you, and she, uh, well, she just couldn't stop talking about y'all. And it's not unusual that she didn't stop talking. <laughs> but the subject was, was quite uh, pointed in that she was appreciative of the hospitality and the friendliness and the genuine love that she felt out of this congregation. And I have to tell you, I felt the same thing too. But we spent our quiet evening at home with Max, our Great Dane, and I, I, I say quiet evening because once the rain quit and the fireworks started, Max, he's 160 pounds, mind you, he decided he did not like fireworks. Yeah. And when the fireworks started going, this 160 pound scaredy cat became a lap dog, and I have to tell you, that's not a good situation for anybody. Um, but eventually, the fireworks died out. Peace and quiet returned to the household, and Angela got things ready for work the next morning, and I spent the last hour before bedtime thinking about my message for today, which comes to us primarily out of 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, which is our epistle uh, for this Sunday. And it deals with things that I think are very appropriate to Independence Day and this season that we're in. It deals with things that talk about power and weakness and grace. And as I was thinking about it, this question popped into my head. Is there truly liberty without grace? And so before we dive into Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, I want to talk just a few minutes because I think it's totally appropriate to talk about liberty, to talk about freedom. Now, probably the go-to verse for us as Christians comes out of John 8. Starts at verse 31 and goes through 36. This passage talks about freedom. Jesus said to the Jews, who had believed in him. So these are Jewish Christians. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? And so Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. 
Son has a place there forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. See, these are foundational words about truth, about liberty, and about freedom. Now, there have been other great words written about liberty outside of Scripture. Maybe you've heard these before. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. See, this concept of liberty, the concept of freedom, is intertwined with the idea of power and weakness and grace. Now we know that these words written long ago in terms of this nation's experience, but not so long ago in terms of the kingdom of God. These are the opening paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. 242 years ago on July 4th, 1776. And it was very profound and yes, it was very radical. And it set the course for more than two centuries of American individualism, that rugged, self-sufficient pioneer spirit that built a world power over 242 years. Now, if we pause for a minute, and we, most of us in this room consider ourselves Methodists, do we not? Our founder was John Wesley. Him and his brother Charles, but mostly John, I think. And it may surprise you to know that our nation's founding fathers and Methodism's founding father, John Wesley, were not in agreement concerning the desire of the American colonies to be independent. See, Wesley was loyal to the crown. He was an Anglican priest. He was loyal to the Church of England. And yes, he, his Methodist movement had some some disagreements with the English church because there was corruption in the English church. He was for religious freedom, but he was not a supporter of American independence. He wrote a paper, a calm address to our American colonies. He was appealing to the colonists not to go against the crown, if you can believe that. He says, 10 times over in different words, you profess yourselves to be contending for liberty, but it is a vain, empty profession unless you mean by that threadbare word a liberty from obeying your rightful sovereign and from keeping the fundamental laws of your country. And this undoubtedly it is which the confederated colonies are now contending for. See, he had no love for the revolution. And American Methodists in the colonies were quick to detach themselves from Wesley's political stance. Why do I, why does this matter today? 
why, why are we going into our history class this morning about Wesley and the colonial mindset? Well, I think it's because that liberty is often a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective that depends on who has the power and who's in the weaker position. The founding fathers said that liberty meant separation from British rule, and John Wesley said that liberty was subject to the sovereignty of law. So revolution, the American Revolution in Wesley's mind, was lawlessness. Now, here's the thing. How is it that both parties, those that wanted to separate and those that wanted to remain loyal to the crown, both of them professing their belief and obedience to God, how can they be so fundamentally opposed to one another? Why would they be at such odds? And who's right? They can't both be right, can they? Well, consider this. Paul says in Galatians 5, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe it's not a question of who's right and who's wrong. Maybe it's a question of what really constitutes liberty. Not in the world view, but in God's view, in the kingdom. And so what about now? How does that make any difference to us now? Well, if you fast forward 242 years to present-day America, everything that the Founding Fathers established, we're living in the result of that. Everything that they established is right here and right now. We're in the midst of it. Now, there's no question in my mind or anybody in this room that we live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I think we can all agree on that. This nation is far above any other in terms of freedom and the liberty afforded to its people. Now we also have to admit that we're far from perfect because we all fall short of the glory of God. And so we look around us, even in our community here, and we see evidence that we live in a fallen and broken world. Even in this great nation, we have people who can't afford basic necessities like food. That's why we have food pantries, shelter, clothing, health care. They can't afford it. Government, in all its worldly might, has neither the wisdom nor the power to solve even the basic problems, never mind the problems of civil rights, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, defining the boundaries and division of government power. These are complex issues that... Our government just doesn't have a grasp on. And so it occurs to me that the quest for independence and liberty that began more than two centuries ago may have spiraled into something the Founding Fathers never could have foreseen. 
and something that they did not intend. Why is that? Well, I submit to you it's because we forgot that the power and the weakness that we deal with when we're talking about liberty and freedom has to be within the perfect will of God and comes to us by His grace alone. We forgot about grace. We've forgotten the fundamental foundation of liberty, which is grace. And so this declaration of independence, it's true to its title if you're talking about the British crown, but we also have to remember that it was very much a declaration of dependence on the sovereignty and will of God. Before it was a declaration of independence, it was a declaration of dependence on God. And so could it be that the reason we have so much division is that we have forgotten about the truth concerning liberty and freedom? Is there, in fact, as Wesley maintained, ever really liberty in the absence of the authority of law, which is the grace of God? Now, a lot of people like to quote Romans 13. Whatever government we have was put there by God. You've heard that, right? And I think to a certain extent that's true, but we have to remember that when we translate the scriptures, we have to translate them accurately. And so many translations say there is no authority except from God. Now, the word there for from is hupo. It's a Greek word, and it means under, not from. There is no authority except under God. See, if we say that all authority is from God, the implication is that God endorses or improves all governments, and I wonder if that's indeed the case. But if we say that all authority is under God, then the implication is that legitimate governments are those which uphold righteousness. And any that move outside the perfect will and boundaries of God's righteousness may have made themselves illegitimate. This is how we have issues with government as Christians. Not all government, just some. This is why we are in such disagreement with those regimes that enforce on their people things that are against the will of God for all people. See, God upholds the principle of government. He doesn't necessarily condone the behavior of all governments. So what does it mean to us as Christ followers? Well, it means we have this Christian responsibility to participate in the governmental process. It means we have a responsibility to live within the laws that are established by governments. It means we have the responsibility to pray for and support our leaders in government. But what it doesn't ever mean is that we have to put government and governmental policies or even laws that come out of governments above God and the Word of God. It never means that. That idea was what the 
Declaration of Independence was saying. Whenever a government steps out of the boundaries of righteousness and the will of God, we the people have the right and the responsibility to change the government. Because God creates humans with the abilities to make choices. And in that regard, we have freedom. But you see, our freedom is limited to God's authority and sovereignty. Remember that God told Adam in the garden, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. That's freedom, but with limits. See, people erroneously think that freedom is autonomy. Autonomy is the ability to do whatever you choose without fear of judgment from a higher authority. And that's what we think freedom is in this culture today. And the truth is that nothing in God's creation has autonomy. We live by the limits that God places on us. Our freedom is limited by God's freedom and only God has absolute freedom. God's freedom trumps our freedom. And so society today tends to lean towards secular humanism, which is human autonomy. It means we want to do what we want to do. We cry liberty, equal rights, tolerance, diversity, all these lofty words. And when we don't like the restrictions that are placed on us by God's word, the Bible, well, then we just ignore scripture in the name of everything that we cry about. See, our watchword has become fairness when it should always be righteousness. See, we've replaced God-given liberty with the slavery of universalism, which is that thought process that says there are multiple ways to God, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is only one way. And that's Jesus Christ. And we have mistaken tolerance for love. The lack of accountability that's inherent in tolerance is the most unloving thing we could possibly do because it leaves people in their sin. We turn a blind eye to unrighteousness so we don't offend, and in so doing, we clear the pathway to hell because then there's no accountability for the unrighteousness. This is a tough subject to hear, isn't it? But it's the truth. The truth about liberty, when we accept that our liberty is God-given and therefore under his authority, when we submit to his authority as given to us in his word, the Bible, when we cease these rebellious efforts to be autonomous and make our own rules, that's when we finally enjoy freedom. Because liberty is a result of grace. And grace is enough. Paul had this weakness. He refers to it as a thorn in his flesh. And while he doesn't fully explain what that thorn was exactly, he explains in 2 Corinthians 12, which is our epistle for today, that the thorn was given to him by God to keep him from boasting of his righteousness to the point where he would then become unrighteous. See, Paul understood this careful balance between power 
and weakness and their relationship to grace. Paul says in the scripture, he says, Three times I appealed to the Lord about this thorn, this weakness, that it would leave me. But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. How do you tell when the pastor is halfway through the sermon? When he says the words, in conclusion. Liberty is understanding where your strength comes from. Liberty is understanding that meekness is not weakness. Liberty is understanding that all power comes from God and only remains power when we operate within the boundaries of his perfect will. Liberty is living in Christ and allowing his strength to overcome our weakness because whenever we are weak, whenever we surrender ourselves to him, well, that's when we are strong. It's true for us as individuals. And yes, it's true for us as a nation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.